0: Good morning, everyone. Good Kellen, I know you can do better because I listened to last week's sermon uh, when Kim was presenting and she got so much, I, well, SoundCloud certainly it sounded like really robust. Good morning. Good, uh, let me try. Good morning. Oh, mercy. I'm starting to think I should have stayed in Hawaii. Oh, 32 degrees is something that we're going to get just around the corner. Um, but uh, for those of you who didn't say good morning, good morning to you as well. <laughs> for those of you who did thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, it's wonderful to be back. It felt like an age because uh, the uh, Qantas changed our flights. So we, we were meant to leave on the Sunday a week and a bit ago, and, and uh, they changed it to Sabbath. So we missed Pastor Neil uh, with the first part of our series. And then, of course, last week, we were always going to miss it. I'm sorry, Kim, but I listened to it because Kara told me I had to. Uh, Kara sends her good mornings, but in a croakier voice than mine today. Uh, apparently, whatever I caught in Hawaii, <laughs> I shared with her. So she's not too happy, <laughs> and, uh, but, it's, but it's great to be here with you. I... I'm really excited about some of the feedback that I've been hearing from some of you about this series. Now, it only goes for four weeks, me and my big mouth. Um, I think listening to some of them, uh, Pastor Neil uh, presented the first one, you know, you do think before you speak, Neil, I don't. And by listening to Kim last week, we don't. Um, The other thing that I learned from last week, Kim, is that if you ever join Pathfinders, you're not in charge of anything to do with matches. Um, I, was re- I was listening to your sermon, and I was like, man, did she start Black Friday? Um, <laughs> maybe not, no. <laughs> but uh, it sounds like, Dave, you should be the one lighting fires. Um, although you'd make her very happy if you let her light the fire. Yeah. So in the two weeks, uh, Neil spoke about the whole idea of this which is the idea of for each one of us to be quick to listen and then slower to speak. And, uh, Neil, you you have a gift in that area. I know that you would say there are times where you probably speak too quick as well, but you certainly demonstrate the gift of listening before just wanting to blurt out. For me as a sanguine, uh, we spend way too much time just wanting to do this. And not enough time doing this, not enough time listening. Kim, I appreciated your message because the tongue is such a powerful, powerful tool. It can be powerful in two different ways. It can be powerfully used by God, by yourself to actually lift people up, to be able to actually care for people, to actually demonstrate what it truly means to be a Christ follower. Or on the other side, if we are... Quick to speak, slow to listen. We can blurt stuff out, can put our foot in our mouth, so to speak, and it can hurt people. And it can damage people's walks with God, it can damage people's walks in life. So it is an incredibly, incredibly powerful tool. The other thing that I got from last week, Kim, I didn't realise, is the fact that the tongue never gets tired, the muscle. Um, so it's another illustration that we can be using this tongue for good all the time or we could constantly be destroying people's lives through the power of this thing called the tongue. This week we're going to move because in the first two weeks of our series we've actually been listening um, and reading through the Gospel of James. Now James is an interesting guy because he's Jesus' brother. He spent time his entire life with Jesus and when he wrote, he he tends to write in a way which talks about uh, doom and gloom, doom and gloom. Whereas now we move for the next two weeks, and Sharon will finish our series next week, we actually move to the Gospel of Ephesians. And in the Gospel of Ephesians, we get a new writer, because the writer is Paul. Now, Paul is an interesting man. We know that initially his name was Saul. And when Saul comes down to Jerusalem from the north because he is annoyed because people are mixing up the old way of things. So he comes down to Jerusalem, he seeks, uh, he seeks some advice from the Jewish council, from the high priest, and he says, hey, is it okay if I go and do Yahweh's work? And they say, this young guy, uh, he's got a presence about him, absolutely, and he goes... And he grabs Christians and he drags them back into Jerusalem to torture them and ultimately for some to kill them. And that is Saul. For those of you, and there, and there could be some of us here today, who have, who have actually experienced Christians, Christianity, which has actually made you th- in fact, the whole idea of Christianity um, Stinks. Paul would be your man, because Paul was all about the Jewish religion, not about Christ or Christianity. So Paul would have been your man, he would have been your guy, he was popular, he knew how to motivate a crowd, and then he experiences something life-changing. Now for some of us, we are going to experience times in our life where Jesus reveals himself in a very powerful way. We often call it the Damascus Road experience and it actually comes right from here, from Saul. Because Saul is going up to Damascus to grab hold of these Christians to squash them out so that the old form of religion could be put back in its rightful place. And on that road, he encounters light. Now, when we read through the New Testament, light is a very, very, very powerful thing. And it is used in a way through the New Testament writers to demonstrate the difference between not being religious, but having Jesus in your life brings light. Not having Jesus in your life brings darkness. And religiosity can be caught up in darkness, So here we have Saul, and Jesus turns up. And a great light comes upon Saul, and Saul becomes blind. And in the conversation that Saul has with Jesus Christ, Saul becomes changed. Inside, a light begins to glow. Now, it's interesting that Saul's role and goal was to ask at the heart of every man and woman and says, I can do incredible things through you. I can do incredible things through you. Today, when we actually look at the letter that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, we're actually going to see that he is writing to the Christian church in Ephesus. These people, you would think, have got it together. They're converted. They have seen the light and and they have become changed. They're going to become world changers. Jesus. We're going to find out that as human beings, we can come to this place called church and still be just as lost as we were before we encountered Jesus. Because the church in Ephesus is a little bit mixed up little bit messed up, and Saul, who becomes Paul, is actually going to demonstrate to us today how we can re-engage the light, can re-engage the light. Before we open the Word of God, let's pray together. Lord God, in heaven, we thank you that we can be here today. In winter, a bit of rain around, or maybe spring, we can think of a thousand other places to be, but this is the place you want us to be. I thank you that we're here, and I pray that you be with us now as we open your word. Amen. Today, we're going to look at two passages. They actually, they actually um, connect to each other. They're found in the book of Ephesians. If you got your Bible or your phone, open it up. Uh, you'll be less distracted, <laughs> unless you're checking your social stuff. Don't do that. Um, Ephesians chapter 4. So open up your phone or your Bible. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read from the New Living Version. I just find it easy uh, to read. And uh, I'm going to use these things because it also makes it easy to read. Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 17 to 24. With the Lord's authority I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they're hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life of God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for the lustful pleasures and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Jesus or Christ. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life which is corrupted by lust and deception instead let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes put on your new nature created to be like God truly righteous and holy then there's a little gap and then the writer paul as he's writing to the church in ephesus said hey this whole new life and new experience it sounds good in fact You should have already experienced this if you are part of the Christian movement. He is writing, he challenges, he challenges the church in Ephesus. And I I read through this because initially he's saying, hey, there is a contrast between light and darkness. There is a contrast between those Gentiles who follow in purity and desires of the heart and those who have now put on this new life. Then he moves on and he says, but there's some more, <coughs> excuse me, Ephesians 4, 29 to 32. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who are by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander or gossip, as well as all types of evil behaviour. And when I was talking to Gerard this morning, that word instead, this is the alternative, instead. It actually says be kind to each other, tender hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Jesus has forgiven you the context of this passage is important for us to pick up. Because without the context, we're just sort of scraping and trying to figure out, how does this apply to me? Because this obviously applied to the church in Galatians, but how does this apply to me? Well, let me tell you a little bit about the context. Paul's writing to the Christian church in Galatia, the Galatians, who've become followers of Jesus. But when they actually look at their past, where they've actually come from, and each one of us can do this, whether you've been born in a Christian home or perhaps you haven't, it doesn't really matter. The reality is there are periods of our life that we can look back upon and actually say to ourselves, boy, oh boy, there's some aspects that I didn't like about me. And there are aspects that Paul didn't like about the church in Galatians because they had left a pagan worldview and I was raised as a Gentile pagan. Then he continues, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer follow the ways of being a pagan. Who's he focused on? He's focused on that Christian church that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Friends, I've been sitting in my bed, and I've been reading this passage over and over and over again. And as I've been reading through it, I've been thinking to myself, I know that he was focused on the church in Galatia, but there's so many aspects that remind me of my past. There are so many sinful desires of my heart and my past that make this passage extremely relevant to me. Because even as a follower of Christ, there have been times where it has been easier. It has been more desirable to follow the ways of a pagan world than it has to always be a follower of the light of Jesus. because the pagan world or the secular world or the consumeristic world is different to the worldview that Jesus has for Christians. In fact, it is a completely different worldview, and that worldview is reflected in their behaviour, just like your worldview is directly reflected in the way that you do life. In the culture of Ephesus, which had an incredibly strong focus on the Greek world, the Greek education, they believed in a pantheon of gods, many, many, many gods. For some of us sitting here today, we go, I don't understand that. There's God in heaven, and then there's this sinful world we live in. But to understand the church in Ephesus, you need to understand that they had not come, a lot of them, from a Jewish background that believed in Yahweh God. In fact, they had come from a worldview that had many, many, many little gods. They did all kinds of crazy stuff, these gods. They toyed with people. They slept with each other They had all kinds of baby gods that had baby gods and they did all sorts of crazy stuff like like the gods who actually split the other god in half and all of a sudden, planet Earth is produced. In the culture of Ephesus, the culture of the Greek culture believed in this idea of many, many gods. They also believed in polytheism, which was about being like a god. (coughs) And when you actually... When you actually study about Aristotle and Plato and some of these guys, you actually pick up the fact that the goal of a human being actually put a, uh, a value on the fact if you're a woman, uh, you will not quite equal with a horse. And if you're a good horse or a good fish, perhaps over a number of lives, you could become a man. I mean, it sounds ludicrous, but... This was their worldview. You could become like God, and in fact, there are religions and people out there today who believe when you look out at the stars at night, your goal as a human being would be to actually become a good human being over a number of lives, so you could become a god of one of those stars. It sounds ridiculous to you or I, perhaps. But it's not ridiculous to the people in Ephesus because this was part of their worldview. This was part of who they were. In polytheism, it also believed that if you were born a woman, bad luck. If you were born a fish, bad luck. If you were born into slavery, bad luck. Because it's a winner take all. Attitude to life. Now, when you actually start to break down their philosophy of religion, you need to understand that for Paul, he's going, our Jesus, our Jesus treats all human beings equally. Slave or free, man or woman, Greek, Roman, didn't matter who you were, we are all created in the likeness of God and we are all equal. But Paul knew that there were still aspects of the church in Ephesus that struggled with the worldview that they grew up with. Because when you question your walk with God, the only thing that you can do is go back to what you know. sounds similar to the society in which we live in today. If we struggle with our walk with Christianity, it's easier just to go... Shun Christianity and let's just go back to the way that it was when it was easier. I want to tell you one thing about the emphasis and the incredibleness about being a follower of Christ. Jesus walked on this earth a couple of thousand years ago, the influence that Christianity has had on this world is incredible. If you're trying to work out the whole God thing, there's a couple of things that I want you to know that you should be proud of if you call yourself Christian A. Christianity is against the abuse of human beings, sexually, physically, verbally. Christianity teaches against that. If you believe in equality... Where all human beings are made equal. Christianity teaches and believes in that. If religiosity and Christianity have messed up that worldview for you, I'm sorry. Because that's why I would always, I tend to believe anyway, go back to your relationship with Jesus. And it'll actually make those things clear to you. Democracy in its true form, is found in Christianity. The preaching and the lessons that Paul wanted to teach this group in Ephesus are pretty powerful. Paul is talking to some ex-pagans, ex-polytheists, and he's saying, okay, the world you came from is very different from the world that I'm introducing to you as a Christian. And your friends who still live in that world, they have a different worldview. Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus, as a Christian, you know there is a morality that is associated with Christianity in terms of how we treat people, how we treat our wives, faithfulness in marriage, all kinds of stuff. But in the pagan religion, there is no morality, there is no behavioural expectations. And when we reflect back on the Bible verse, Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus, there is no chaos. Because the world view that talks about these little gods going around and doing their thing is a society that creates and is chaos. When I actually reflected on the passage this week, (coughs) like I said, laying in bed, just doing my thing, trying to get better, I was reflecting on the fact that the true form of Christianity, there should be no spare chairs in here. The true form of Christianity, when we actually take it on as Paul is reflecting to the church in Ephesus, there should be, it should be the most popular and the most contagious thing that we could have in our lives. Everybody should be grateful to Jesus. The Apostle Paul was. Because Paul understood what it was to be in chaos. He thought he was doing God's work, but all he was doing was destroying the people of Jesus. And when that light, that, that Damascus experience happened to our friend Paul, his whole worldview changed. His whole worldview of focusing on, on being a Jew changed because when you become a sold-out follower of Jesus... Everything changes. Jesus teaches us a new way to live. You're taught with regard to your former way of life. When you were a polytheist worshipping all the gods, acting as crazy as the gods, to put your old self, which is being corrupted by these deceitful lusts and desires of human flesh. You take off The old self, and you put on the new. You gotta take off the old stuff because so that you will no longer be fooled with your deceitful desires. The apostle Paul understood this and he embraced it. When you embrace the new way of thinking, when you embrace the new worldview. You will not be like those little gods that you used to follow, the old world view. You will be like God who has invited you to address him as your heavenly father. God who loves you so much that he sent his son in this world to pay for each one of our sins. You will become like God in true righteousness and holiness, not the kind of holiness that pulls back and withdraws, the kind of holiness that engages with people who aren't like you and engages with people who don't like you and engages someone just like you. In fact, he engages with you. In Jesus, we see a new worldview, different to the old way. For the church in Ephesus, a pagan way. For you and I, consumeristic, a focused on me worldview. A worldview that is becoming more and more increasingly. It has no room for God. So this is where he applies the big picture that you're taking off and moving to a new worldview. You're starting to think, hmm, as a human being, even as a Christian, I often focus on me, 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 me. But is this what my heavenly Father wants from me? In fact, in the scripture that we read before, Paul uses a word that is best described as being a fish mouth. I remember at school one of the guys played a prank on one of my mates, and uh, he uh, he got some fish and he tied it and he tied it on pretty well to the manifold of his car, and everywhere he drove, he cooked this thing. And, it, and, it, and as it cooked initially, it smelled like cooked fish. And then as the fish began to degrade more and more, it began to cook something that wasn't, uh, it really stunk it. It smelled really bad. And the Bible actually teaches us something very similar. What comes out of our mouth, the actions that come out of our hands and our feet, Now, heads, don't let them become fish-mouthed. Things that are unashamed, that you can be shamed. They're distasteful. These are the words that you know when they come out, shouldn't come out. Or perhaps if you've actually taken the time to go, these are the words that I want to um, have come out of my mouth. Uh, Jesus wants to challenge about it, because in the new way, that's wrong. Don't let distasteful words come out of your mouth. Echoing the message from the last two weeks and then this kind of echoing that we've learned from James last week, look at this, he says, don't let any unwholesome words from that powerful instrument called the tongue, don't let any unwholesome words come out of your mouth. You're in charge. I'm in charge. That my mouth is like a gate and I am the gatekeeper. That I am to stand guard over my mouth. And when distasteful words rush to the gate, he says, don't let them out. Don't let them out. Don't let them out. And they're going to rush to the gate every single day. Now, there have been times where I felt like my size 10 shoes me permanently stuck in my mouth, perhaps it should be stuck in my mouth, because things come out that are wrong, that are hurtful, that don't act, they're distasteful, they are being a fish mouth. Avoid being a fish mouth. The Bible says that we need to be nice. Not just nice as in like a weak wimpy word, but nice in the way that we do things. When we reflect back on the scripture that we read today, It started with that word instead, right down towards the end of our verse. Because the instead is powerful, because it actually says, hey, there are aspects as a human being we need to change. And that instead, in my verse, right towards the end of Ephesians 4, it actually said, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Jesus Christ, has forgiven you. It is in the kindness, the tender-heartedness, and the forgiving that we actually become strong. It is in the kindness, the tenderheartedness, heartedness and the forgiving that we actually find where our identity and our worldview need to come from. It is in the kindness, and the tender-heartedness, and the forgiving that we have a mirror, a light that comes from the same place that it came to Paul on the road to Damascus, Jesus. It only comes through Jesus. Our worldview cannot be formed in being a Seventh-day Adventist. Our worldview cannot be formed in being a Christian. Our worldview is formed and founded in Jesus and Jesus alone. This is what Paul was teaching the church in Ephesus. The radical new way of living that Paul shares with the church in Ephesus is still 100% real for each one of us here today. We need to let the fishmouth ways of living in this world be seen for what it is. A bad smelling piece of rubbish. In our world we're often attracted to this rubbish instead of the plan that Jesus has for each one of us. We need to be aware that Christianity is a way of living where we uphold the rights of freedom, equality. We stand against abuse, neglect, rage. Christianity is orderly. The way of Christ is orderly. And it is based not in chaos. It has standards and and that reflect the idea that everyone is to be loved and treated fairly. Lastly... To have a mouth of Christ will be challenged to put away rage, words, slander, gossip, and all kinds of evil. Instead, our focus will centre around the things of God. As it says, instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Jesus, has forgiven you. I pray these words are more than just words. I pray that today, for each one of us, we can reflect on the fact that as Christians, in a Christian church, we too need to be challenged with our worldview and where that worldview comes from. If it is found in the form of things, the things that appear easier in our society, we're destined for unhappiness. We're destined to hurt people. But if we actually find our new code in the things of Jesus, then this thing can be a mighty powerful tool.